Welcome back to Shoot Me Straight with Eddie and Dave. Today we got some uh, very special guests that I've been looking forward to uh, getting them on here for a long time. Uh, they flew in from the uh, great state of California to be here. But uh, yeah, I got uh, Tim Spear and Jason Thompson, uh, both Navy vets. Uh, they're out now, but uh, for those of you who have read my book, um, The Man in the Arena, and just know the story of everything that happened to me and my family. These two were uh, some of the main characters in this book. Uh, we spent some very special time together in a Naval Consolidated Miramar Brig. Um, we, we, we share a special bond because uh, the three of us sort of had each other back in there. Um, so I'm excited to have these guys on, uh, sort of tell their story, um, you know, where they're, where they're from, you know, why they joined the Navy and then sort of we'll get into, uh, some break stories, which I, I think will mostly be comical. Um, <laughs> but we'll also talk about the corruption behind the brig, um, and just how, um, that place works and how you're sort of, uh, set up for failure from the get go. But we'll get to that here in a second. So yeah, I appreciate you guys coming down here, man. It's an honor to have you both on. Um, I'm stoked. Um, so we got Jason. So you, how, uh, you can go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, we're, we're, tell everybody where you're from. Yeah, and, uh, Jason Thompson, man, born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, 16 years in the Navy before uh, my forceful retirement, I guess you could call it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I joined the Navy right out of high school, 2006, man. Uh, I had a couple of run-ins. Fucked up a little bit in high school, right? I wrestled in high school. That was my thing. Got into some trouble my senior year. Ended up transferring high schools. Uh, met a recruiter one day, man. Two weeks later, I was off the boot camp. Yeah. Took the first thing offered. They were like, hey, we got culinary specialists. I was like, I've never cooked before, but I'll take it. Whatever, you know, whatever gets me out of here. Yeah. So, yeah, two weeks later, man, I was on my way to Great Lakes. Yeah. After that, yeah, checked in my first command, USS Tarawa. There for like a year and a half, they decommissioned, took some GSA orders, went over to Iraq, which is pretty cool, man. Got to spend some time on ground over there. Came back, uh, checked into the Benson right after the Osama, uh, the Osama bin Laden killing. Threw him off the side of the boat, which is pretty cool. Oh, you were on, so yeah, you were on yeah, the yeah, ship on when the they, Benson, uh... Yeah, when we threw him off the side. It was pretty really? cool. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that was cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Then after that, I left uh, the Benson. I went down to Gitmo. Got to see and fuck with some of the detainees down there. Got to see that madness, man. That was and Gitmo. So what, what were you doing? You were a uh, CS down in Gitmo? Yeah, down there, running over, just uh, called Golden Hill, which was basically like the oversight of all, like, the food operations that fed the detainees just to see, like, the <laughs> the budget these guys had just to feed them, right? I mean. What was it? Like, I think there was 120-something detainees at the time, and there was probably a few thousand people on base, right? So it's probably, like, 2.1 million to feed the base, and like, 1-point-something million to feed a hundred and some detainees. Wow. So they were, well, they were treated pretty good in there? Oh, yeah, man. These dudes had fucking Nintendo Wiis, man. You walk by, they'd be in there playing, like, on the Wiis and shit. No way. Yeah. So these guys, the, the detainees they had in Gitmo were obviously terrorists yeah. or suspected terrorists, right. um, which is why they're they're locked up in there. And these guys are in prison cells. They're allowed to have Nintendo Wiis. Kicking it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It was we had a more rough time in the brig than they did in fucking Gitmo. Well, yeah, I think that's yeah. a that's an important <laughs> it's important to note here as uh, we get into 
our treatment in the brig and how we lived. Um, how was uh? So you, I'm gonna back it up just a little bit, right? So you got down with boot camp, mm-hmm. and you went to CS school. CS school. How was that? Lakes. It was cool, man. I mean, it was, it was a bit fast tracked, right? It was like, hey, here's the basic: read a fucking recipe card, do this, do that, and then you check into the ship, and it all goes out the window. It's like there's no recipe cards, bro. Just fucking make this so the crew has something to eat. So yeah, on a ship because I've done a, a deployment, uh, two deployments on a ship, um, both pre nine eleven, um, and I, I remember being on there and they, you know, the first probably couple of weeks, the food's good. And then after that, it just starts declining yeah. going downhill. I mean, it's hard work, bro. I'm not going to lie to you, man. There's no real days off for cooks at sea. Right. So we're working from five, six in the morning till whenever we secure and then mid rats to feed the crew, which the, so we're running Monday through Sunday, no days off. Why everybody's having like Sunday fucking sleep in day. We're still uh-huh. grinding. Right. So, I mean, and there's only so much we can do with the stores and the food that we can store on board. So, yeah, the first couple of months, you, you're getting good food, man. Yeah, it's like yeah. fresh. But, yeah, once, I mean, once the, the stores start running out, man, we're, we're, we're just throwing it together. Beans, rice, yeah. I mean, you name it. We're just trying to keep everybody fed, man. Uh, yeah, I remember those days. And then uh, pulling, they call it crank duty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cranking. Yep. Cranking, yeah. All cranking. of us had to go do that as uh when we were new guys. Yeah, you're cranking, man. You're cleaning, washing dishes, whatever it takes just to help, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty shit dude. It is, man. <laughs> I understand why they do it though, because you just said like the cooks have no days off yeah. and so they need that extra help to like get everything done. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh I wouldn't say it's a volunteer duty, it's more voluntold duty when you get crank duty, you're like, hey, you're you're going to do this for a month, but you learn to respect this. So, I mean, yeah. and you understand, like when you come by the galley, not to give the fucking cooks a hard time, man. Like, bro, we've been in here since this morning while you were still sleeping. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. hey, so did you have any previous culinary experience, or were you just nothing, nothing, man? So uh, I just happened to excel at it. So I started competing in culinary competitions while I was stationed down in Guantanamo Bay. Right, uh, I transferred up back to San Diego to the Chancellorville. Uh, did a deployment with them, went up to Seattle for the Seattle Sea Fair and won the uh, the culinary competition there, the first one. Wow. So it kind of just kind of like, I mean, it, yeah, it was cool, man. It took off from there. So I came back down, transferred to shore duty, Naval Base San Diego, got picked up for the uh, Naval culinary team, went and got to compete over for Lee and stuff, man. It was cool. Got one, like, I think our team won like 17 medals that year. Does that transfer at all into the private world? Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely had a hand up on most of the guys that came out of culinary school, right? So I was used to managing the kitchen and running guys. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my, my cleanliness and my sanitation and just my attention to detail was a lot more advanced than most of the guys coming yeah. from culinary school. So uh, Work ethic. The work ethic was the big thing. Like, people are like, man, I'd come in, didn't matter when I'm scrubbing down the line, yada, yada, just whatever it took, right? Yeah. So it was definitely a hands up on a guy that came from college and culinary school learning to fucking – car flowers or something <laughs> did, did you end up working for like an admiral or cooking uh yeah so i worked over at uh admiral rich's house on uh, coronado for a little while i got a chance to volunteer work over there it was cool i was going to transfer go to, to hawaii actually to work for pay paycom there mm-hmm. unfortunately i was kind of upside with a you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you get you get to go the admirals get to have someone come and be their personal chef. Yeah, it's called enlisted aid. So you're, you're basically his his personal guy. You, you handle every all his behind the scenes work from entertaining at his house, making his dinner, making sure like his uniforms and stuff taken care. Like you're taking care of the house. Like you're you're his right hand. Everything is is ran through you. Enlisted wow. swine. Yeah, admirals are pretty much politicians. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So he yeah. comes home. Yeah, he's like, hey, we're having a dinner tonight. This is the guest. I need a menu. 
12 people, three courses with cocktail beverage. Yeah, so you, you, you have to set everything up from the decorations, setting up the yard, everything, the wine, your grocery shopping for everything. I mean, your grocery shopping. And the Navy house. pays for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rank has his privileges, Dave. Dave. Yeah. Interesting. You travel with him, like you're, you're with him. You're, you're there. Special housing. Special, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. So that's that's the last place you pretty much were before the whole shebang, yeah. right? Yeah. I was still on 32nd Street, man, and then one day uh, I was getting ready to leave work. I left work to actually call me back in. I was, like, came back in and I said, hey, I think sec- somebody wants to talk to you. Somebody, I knew some guy, right? So I walk into his office, and right away I knew something was up, dude, like, all right, man, just stand right there. And the side door is open to the office, and these fucking inmates rush in. Like, then they, uh, then they end up raiding your house too. Yeah. So yeah. So prior to that, man, it was a uh, May sixth, Cinco de Mayo, two thousand eighteen. I had just came back from Texas uh, from a ride with some of the club brothers, right? So I get up to go to work the next morning. It's like five thirty. I get up, walk out of the house. I'm going to pop the lock on the garage, and I hear like the revving motor, revving motors of people like speeding towards me. I step back, I, like, look into the alley. Dude, there's guys fucking hanging off the side of fucking vans, full strapped and shit, dogs coming out of the bushes. <laughs> right? And they're like, freeze, motherfucker. And dude, like, throws me up against the fucking garage, man. He's like, what do you got on you? I'm like, bro, I'm going to work, dude. And everybody, I'm talking about they're full, kitted up, like, mm-hmm. masked up. Like, you would have thought I was fucking Pablo Escobar, bro. Raiding the house, man. They, so they, they cuffed me up and said, like, who's in the house? I'm like, bro, my 10-year-old son's in the house. He's getting ready to go to school. They don't give a fuck, bro. They Kick the back door open. My dogs are in the house, like barking. They pull the dogs out. My son's in his underwear. It's, it's bro, they destroyed my fucking house. Cut my couches open, threw all my shit all over the floor. Dropped your bike. They, yeah, so they come. So, <laughs> funny thing, right? So, uh, a little bit backstory, man. I was uh, president of a motorcycle club, right? Uh, out, out all one percent of the club, right? So they they had already been investigating me for some things. They put a camera up in, in the back of my house and shit for like months. So they destroyed my house and everything, man. Yeah, they come, they find nothing. They're searching for like drugs and shit. Uh-huh. Find nothing in the house. They come, they tow all my, they take my bike, my wife's bike, take all the shit out of the garage, take like her work laptop, all this stuff. Yep. As they're loading my bike on the truck, the dude drops it off the truck on top of himself. So the ambulance has to come get him. They fuck my bike all up. So yeah. for the for the listeners out there, right? It's so you you were the president of a, a motorcycle club, yep. right? And under the UCMJ, it's illegal right to be part of. Uh, uh, they call it a criminal street gang. Yeah, but which they, yeah. they don't even know it's a criminal street gang. They just know that it's a blanket statement. To yes, them, yeah. you're just part of a group, like yep. a motorcycle group. So you could, I mean, in essence, you could be part of like it could be a motorcycle club, yep. right? Um, and they could still, they can make up whatever story they want. Yep. Be like, well, you're doing this. Yep. So you must be doing something illegal. and That's that's what it was, right? Just a motorcycle club. That's it, man. I mean, there there was no crimes attached to my chapter, or there was no RICO charge, never charged to my my nation, none of that, right? So, I mean, but they were trying to label it. I mean, they had pictures of me and a couple of Hells Angels, a couple of models. Just people, you know, I was socializing, man. I'm out at a bar. They're they're taking pictures of me. They're taking pictures of my house, people coming to my house and shit, following me around. The inside was like, man, they were obsessed with me. Can you talk more about the RICO charges? Like, I didn't know anything yeah. about that until I met yeah. you. So, so there was no RICO. So uh, a lot of the outlaw clubs have, like, RICO charges if they're, like, running guns, dope, yeah, yeah, whatever they can do to pin on them, right? Some of my club is Thunderguards Nation, man. Shout out to the, to TG. Uh, but there there had never been any RICO charges or anything that would label us as a, a criminal street gang, which is what they, they tied the charges onto me. A yeah. RICO charge is? Like racketeering and shit. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. There had never been any of those charges brought up against the club. Yeah. So they can't give a shit. They're like, hey, man, this is a criminal street gang because you're labeled as an outlaw motorcycle. Sounds like the military police is the gang. Well, it's NCIS. And I I mean, I can only assume that, yeah, they they saw you were part of this motorcycle club. And then from there, they start formulating their own story and narrative about you because. Like, let's face it, and I've said it before, NCIS are a bunch of rent-a-cops oh, that yeah. could not make it into the FBI or any of the, the big federal divisions. So the last choice they have is to become a naval criminal investigative agent, right, which is the lowest of the low on the yeah. totem pole. They have no skills, really, to do the job. They know the bare minimum, but they have all the ambition in the world, right? So it's a dangerous mixture of incompetence and ambition. And you have those individuals working. So they make up, they formulate these stories like going after Jason here because in the end, if they can pin something on him, that's a huge win for them to make them like, oh, look what I did. And then they probably resubmit an application for the actual FBI like, hey, I have this on my resume now. I took down a motorcycle gang member when in reality – it's like, dude, you made up a story just to, you know, screw this guy over to yeah. further your career. Yeah. You know? yeah, okay. That's what I was going to ask. That makes – I was going to ask, what what's their motives? How come they would try and pin something on you and try – but that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a political career move. It's a career move. Yeah. And, and at that, the time, it was a big topic for the Navy, man. You know, motorcycle clubs, gangs, they were trying to label it. So, I mean, I was like the fucking poster child, which is what the Navy Times was. <laughs> I mean, slandered me to be like wow. this fucking big bag drug running outlaw right i mean i've i've met some big bad drug running outlaws and yeah. that's not that's not you i mean like you you meet some guys that are really high up in yeah. Aryan brotherhood and stuff like that that's that's a different type of different type of guy and do you think they knew that and they, they didn't care i mean we weren't running drugs or anything but i mean i tell people don't get it fucked up i mean we were we're outlaws right uh-huh. I ran with some guys that were some, you know, sure. some dudes, right? But, I mean, I wasn't fucking provided for my family by running drugs back and forth across the border. Sure. The yeah, you were a right. United yeah. States yeah. sailor. Was, was That's how you were. Right? I was yeah. an exceptional sailor, man. I got a fucking track record. That was, yeah. that was, that was killer. But, I mean, also on. Does that make it even better for them if you have a track record that is. Oh, yeah, I was a stellar sailor. Well, look, this is what I, he was doing in his off time. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, look at us. We yeah. found, y'all thought it was, he was this poster for the Navy, but yeah. really, we found the dirt on them. Yeah. They yeah. love that. The, the military in general loves to make example of people. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you ended up, so they came and raided your house, then yes, when you they took you right to the brig? Yeah, so no, they raided my house, didn't find anything. I spent a few nights down in county jail for, they were saying. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, right? So uh, I get out, man, and then I'll go back to the command, and they kind of like shun me in the same way, so I'm sitting over at Port Ops, basically wasting, wasting away every day, showing up to work at 7, back at home by like 9.30. So this one particular day, man, I get off work, I'm, I'm going home, and then they call me like, hey, you got to come back. I show back up to work, and that's when they hit me, came, cuffed me all up and shit. Then they took me to the exchange, like, well, you got to buy, have all this in your seat bag. I'm like, bro, I'm at work. How the fuck do I have a seat bag at work? But they're parading me through the exchange all fucking handcuffed, handcuffed up. Handcuffed yeah. up. Yeah. And so the, the reason, so you weren't charged with anything. You were now, they were a pretrial prisoner, right? Pre-trial, and yeah. the reason they threw you in there is what? Because it's their their reasoning. Uh, basically, I mean, I was I was a high-ranking gang member, as they said. I was a flight risk, and the connections I had, I would flee, basically. 
even though you were showing up to work every day, showing no signs of fleeing. Nothing. Right. I got a wife and kids at home, right? So, like, wh- where am I going? Yeah. Yeah. And all this is done to make you look guilty, right? That's that's why. That's the real they, reason. Oh, dude, they they per, you know they handcuffed him, right? They called him back to work, which he obediently was like, okay, yeah. I went back to work, handcuffed you, and then, like he said, they parade you through the public on your way to the brig, yeah. like taking him to the PX so everybody can see. Because once you're walking around in handcuffs, and they did the same thing to me, it's it's automatic like oh you did something it's almost like a PR move like, yes yeah yeah it's like well he can't be completely innocent I mean there's something there yes, yeah exactly yeah and then you know that's a natural thought like oh they just don't handcuff you yeah. for no yeah. reason yeah um so yeah so you ended up in the break what 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 month was that would have been September late August like the 29th. Oh, no, it was late August late I August, got like in okay early August yeah. that's right like the 29th yeah. you were September yeah 11th. Except, yep. Yeah, late August. Did they ever come to you before arresting you and saying, hey, we, you're a part of something that we don't see as legal? Yeah, so, I mean, it was the same thing. Like, you kind of get the heads up. Like, NCIS comes in. Oh, they want to talk to you. So, you go over to talk to NCIS. Like, well, these are suspected charges. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm like, okay, well, let me get my shit together. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll fight this whenever it comes. But there was no preparation. They were like, you're going to the brig now. Yeah. yeah. And so, you can't properly defend yourself. Yeah. So they really didn't give you. They just said, "Hey, we're telling." It was they were just saying it to check off a list yeah. in a sense. Hey, we talked to him. Now we're going to arrest him. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So you ended up okay <laughs> September, and then Tim, you uh, we'll get it to get into you. So Tim, obviously you're SEAL. Yeah. So Tim Spear, I was at SEAL Team Five. Uh, did two pumps there. I went to Afghanistan, Yemen, and Iraq. Actually, Eddie's platoon at Team 7 always relieved my platoon, so yep, kind of followed me on my two main deployments. Uh, I uh, joined in 2009, uh, eventually got out in 2020, so it was a little over 11 years, but 10 of it was actually like serving in the SEAL teams. Uh, originally, I, I tried to join the Coast Guard, and they turned me away for vision. I, I grew up not knowing much about the military. I, I was a troublemaker, too. Uh, actually, it took me a year and a half just to get into the Navy because I had a criminal record. Where did you grow up at? I grew up kind of split between Santa Clarita, California, and then I went to high school in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Uh, went up to college. I did one year at NAU. <laughs> Caused a lot of trouble. They told me not to come back. I was like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'll join the military. Coast Guard turned me away for my vision. So I was like, all right, I'll be a Marine like my grandpa walk into the recruiting station in my hometown, and in my hometown, the Navy and the Marine Corps were, uh, shared a foyer. So I walk into the first door. On the right is the door to the Navy. On the left is the door to the Marine Corps. Boatsman's mate's standing right in the doorway. Uh, as I walk in, he's like, you looking to join the Navy? I'm like, no, but I'll talk to you. Tell him the whole story about how the Coast Guard turned me away. He points to the poster on the wall of the SEAL coming out of the water with the painted face and the boonie cover. He's like, you want to go to Bud's and be a SEAL? I'm like, did you not just hear the whole story I just told you? Like, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the team. So he's like, we'll give you a $40,000 bonus. We'll pay for your eye surgery, and we'll give you a waiver. Oh, wow. Okay. Give me a couple weeks. And I read Bud's class uh, 228, Dick Couch's book. Yeah. And uh, one of the Warrior Elite. books. I didn't know he was a turd at the time, but his <laughs> book was badass. So I was like, yeah, I want to do Oh, this. I read it. Yeah. yeah. He has a few of them. I think I read Rogue Warrior, which it's a cool book. 
Um, anyways, so yeah, uh, it takes me like a year and a half after that because they wind up digging up my whole criminal history. Finally get in, go through with Bud's class. Uh, I got there with 283, immediately got the surgery, broke my hip on Tuesday of Hell Week with 286, and then went all the way through with 288. Uh, broke your hip? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it was, it was a, a stress fractures, just yeah. tiny micro fractures. So gotcha. uh, recovered in like three months. Because there was a holiday in between, yeah. so I only had to wait two classes. And I actually, I got a 30-day waiver so that I could class up early. Uh, anyways, got all the way through. That was awesome. That was that class was amazing. Um, two eight, you said two eight. Two eight eight. Two eight eight. That's yeah, right. yeah, it was awesome until third phase, and then we got our asses handed to us. But um, great class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another story. Were you were you uh, teaching buds by then? I, yeah, I was yeah. an instructor during that time. Eddie was one of my first phase instructors. Cool. Yeah, yeah. so I've I've known of Eddie since <laughs> I showed up in San Diego, and all the stories are true. <laughs> They're all true. <laughs> How but, nice he is and sweet. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a hugger. <laughs> no, but like sure. I I can say without a doubt that all the like, you know, the good dudes looked up to Eddie. Everybody wants to be like that. You want to sure. be the performer, even when you're you're climbing in rank. So, I've I've always looked up to Eddie, and he knows that. I appreciate so, that, man. Yeah. yeah, it's always it's always humbling. And, and the other thing too is like I just happened to be in a platoon. My first LPO was did what two or three platoons. With He's you? my best friend. Yeah, one yeah. of my best friends. And so. so like I I feel like I kind of got raised by the Eddie mindset of team guys. And and Eddie's talked about it before. There's like not not all seals are are like what you think is that yeah. do you, you think know. some of that's a generational thing like yes. yeah for sure versus or even generation. i wouldn't even like label i'd like take the millennial out of it it's more um what i found is the farther we got from the actual 9-11 like people were joining you know 10 years after it wasn't and it's it's no fault of their own really uh they just don't have the same drive that a lot of us who came in at 9-11 or I was in before 9-11 and kept going, like that's what drove most of us through our whole career was that incident. And so we were constantly like, yep, this is what we're doing. This is yeah. why we're fighting. And I think the farther we got away from that, that drive and that mentality sort of dissipated a little bit because guys, you know, yeah. were a lot of guys were joining. Like my last platoon, there was a dude that wasn't even born yet, I think, during 9-11. Wow. Yeah. And so it's almost like, um, you know, you, you talk to Vietnam soldiers, right? And they can sit there and have, like, very passionate about this is why we were over there. Where for me, I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't understand because I, I wasn't alive during that time. I don't know how, what the, uh, um, like, during that time what the, the actual mission was or, like, the state, you know, um, trying to get to yeah you know, you know you like understand. it's not it's yeah. not emotionally built in me yes. like 9-11 was and right. i think for my generation that was emotionally built in the whole time and then when we, when we're tasked with leading guys where they're sort of not into it like we were it yeah that's where that's where the generational gap um comes you, were, into play. you were 23 ish around what? 23 when 9-11 happened uh i think i was 21 21 yeah because i yeah, I, I joined in 99, so yeah. it happened, what, two years later? That makes Yeah, because yeah, I was, like, 11 or 12, and you're nine years older than me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you, uh... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, 
uh, I, I make it through a 288, and I go uh, to SOCOM, which is the Special Operations Combat Medic course. It's, it's Army Green Beret Medic okay. School, 18 Delta. Okay. So I go through that, and while I'm there, I meet uh, my ex-wife. Uh, didn't know at the time that she was a stripper, but I wind up marrying a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> typical, uh, that's typical team guy. Typical thing. team guy. Yeah. Strippers are a nurse. Finding out, I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I got the hero complex. I'm gonna help this girl. I'm gonna save her. Yeah. And it, you know, that's a recipe for disaster, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. So immediately we move out to San Diego, and there's problems. Uh, we try and we do the again the typical stereotypical military thing. We're like, well, let's make a baby. That'll fix everything. Uh, it doesn't. I after my firstborn is it comes out. I'm like, all right, this is not working. I move out for three months. Uh, she calls me up one day and she says, hey, we need to talk. She's pregnant with Jack. Okay, let's try again. Jack comes out and like, hey, this is not. We are not good for each other. Uh, the command separates me, puts an MPO between us, which is a, basically a, a military uh, restraining order. It's a okay. military protective order. So I can't, I can't even be home at this point. Uh, I had, like, a special visitation set up so that I could at least see my kids. Uh, we eventually get the MPO uh, lifted. I start working back into the family. They deploy me to Iraq, uh, which was a great deployment. Uh, it was actually the one right before Eddie came out there. Yeah, that's uh, in Mosul. yeah. It was awesome, uh, but there were like obviously I came back and like I had a blast and I I'd go back in a heartbeat. But there was like there was some residual effect from being there. For sure, uh, I was drinking a lot. Uh, my temper was all over the place. I wasn't focused at home, which is a typical like team guy thing. Like I got to give her credit for being at home with the kids and I'm deploying. And even when you know team guys are home, most of the time like mentally. I wasn't. I was focused on work still. So, like, I wasn't the greatest husband. I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, we're, we are not, this is way too toxic. Like, it's, it's violent now. Like, we got to go our separate ways. And I'm like, I'm going to file for divorce. She goes, if you file for divorce, I'm going to put a restraining order on you. If you get a restraining order put on you, you can't own, operate, or transport firearms or ammunitions. That would have destroyed my job. I, I was a Navy SEAL at the time. So I'm like, all right, um, let's just, what do you want to do? So we're waiting it out. And she's like, I want to work on things, but she's cheating on me in the background. When I won't come over and watch the kids, she says, well, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill myself today. So she starts using suicidal ideations to control me. Uh, this goes on for like a year and I'm living in a trailer. I'm seeing my kids a few times a week. Uh, finally, I, I find these messages that she had left me a couple months prior and she's like sobbing. Uh, buck naked my kids are in the background and she's describing how she's going to kill herself I find a butt dial voicemail uh, from her google voice and I overhear her abusing the kids and uh, I transfer all this stuff over to child welfare services the next day child welfare services takes my kids and puts them into foster care um, and this mind you this is already after the fact uh, she had threatened to drive off the bridge with my youngest son in the back seat I put a, a tracker on my family car after that which I was the rightful owner of um, so kids get taken uh, about a week later she says if you don't you know come talk to me uh, I meet her at a, a bar on uh, Coronado she starts a fight with me I don't even make it halfway through my beer set it down walk out <clears throat> she texts me later and at that point we're using an app that just deletes the messages right away so because i have an mpo and she has a tro on me at this point uh so i don't want anyone seeing messages between us she says all right that's it i'm killing myself tonight so i track the family car down at this point i have a, a tracker on it she's on uh naval base 32nd street 
approach the car using dead space. She has no idea I'm there. Poke up, look in there, not killing herself, creating a hinge profile, uh, which is a dating app. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, fuck this. And start walking away. I'm like, no, I'm going to fucking say something. And I turn around. This time she sees me, starts to back the car up into me. I pull my Leatherman out of my pocket, and I try to break the window out. My hand bounces off. That hurt like hell. I hit it again. It breaks. Reach through the glass, and she's screaming at this point, what are you doing? I'm, like, scared and pissed off. I'm, like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And I put the car in park, unbuckle the seatbelt, open the door from the inside, pull her out, throw her into my truck, and then I'm like, I got to go move the car out of the broken glass and clean up. And I move the car, and as soon as I park it, I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? I start walking back to the car. She's gone. I get in the truck, take off. Next day, NCIS rolls me up interrogates me they do the typical leave me in there for like an hour and a half with nobody just to get me worried uh have you seen your wife in the last 24 hours no so there's a false official statement 24 hours later uh command calls me up they say hey can you come in we're gonna take you to uh some barracks on uh miramar just to get get you away from your wife like there'll be a, a watch there you'll just be there for a few days okay cool uh, they take me to Balboa. I get a physical. They're like, you need to get a physical. Then they take me to the command. You need to pick up all these things. It was like a list of gear. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and we're pulling, we're pulling onto, uh, onto Miramar and I see the sign for the brig and I'm like, you guys are taking me to prison, aren't you? And they're like, yeah, (laughs) fuck. (laughs) Take me into the brig, strip me down, do the whole cavity search and I'm locked down for two days. Um, couldn't call anybody. Uh, had zero charges on me. Uh, wound up sitting in there for three months on pretrial confinement. How, how can they? How can they lock you up without having any charges against you? That's the thing. The UCMJ is the only yeah. uh, court in the United States that can hold you on pretrial confinement. So if they deem you a threat to the investigation, deem yeah. you a threat to anybody else while they're investigating, that's. Right there, they can be like, well, we'll just lock them up and keep them in prison until we can we conduct the investigation and conclude it, and then we'll see. And then that, that they can literally bring charges on you. You can be in the brig for six months, and then there was guys in there for two a years. year. Two years, hadn't yeah. had charges. How, how is that any way possible legal? Because if I, I could come to anyone, I could go to Joey and go, well, we're investigating him. Let's throw him in jail. Like we're trying yeah. to see if there's any charges. They can. Yeah, they can legitimately. There's no. Yeah. There's no bail system at all. Um, once you're in there, the only way and yeah. you can get into this is they. They. It's everybody get they. They look at this right here as like a fair a fair thing. Like once you're in there, I think after three or four days, they pretty much give you a kangaroo court. IRO. Uh, and I. It's called an IRO. That's right. So they take an officer from the base, any officer. Of not, their has, choosing, yeah. of their choosing, was free that who day. has no, no, uh, has no idea how like the le- legalities of anything. He's not uh, an expert in, you know, anything judiciary. They bring this guy in, and then what they do is present. Okay, we have this individual here in pretrial confinement. They list off all the all the ad- accusations, and a lot of them are just lies because at that point they're just accusations and allegations. But they list list them off as fact, and they're like, "We cannot let this individual out. He is a danger to 
the investigation to society, and 99.9% of the time, that judge, whoever they picked, is like, yep, keep him in here. And it's already, it's like a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, a liability for that guy, too? If they let you it know. is. If that guy, yeah, if he deems like, yep, all right, let him out. Um, this, this doesn't seem right. And then for some reason or that person does something, it comes back on that officer. So none of them are going to risk their careers to be like, oh, I don't think this is fair. Let him out. They're just like, keep him in here. Um, and that's pretty much it. And so everybody shows up to the brig. So I, I came and checked into the brig, uh, what, probably like a week or two after you, you, it was, I got in there August 13th. So it was like just under four weeks. Yeah. Okay. So four weeks. Then I checked in, um, and you know, did the same, same gamut, solitary confinement for a bit. And then you go to gen pop, uh, and that's where I met Jason and, uh, Tim, and so, right, it's, you know, and it's the same, we were talking about this, it's the same attitude, right? Um, dude, I, I don't belong in here. This is a mistake. Boom, boom, boom. They were telling me, and right away, these two were like, you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere. Like, you ain't going anywhere. And I, in my mind, yeah. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm out of here, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was the same way. Yeah. Like, yeah Everybody has that same reaction. Um, so I went to my IRO uh, and sat down, and that's when I first met the prosecutors and, they came in and they literally read off charges. Not even charges. They yeah. are like, because I wasn't charged yet. Right. Right. So they're like, hey, this guy, and they were like, he is a drug mule. Like they called me a drug mule. Uh, said I beat my wife. I was a fake Christian. Um, I was a psych, you know, psychotic. Like all, like it's just whatever That's they want to say. Of, uh, There's no charges. Investigation is. Your they own. just. Fake Christian. Smear your character to a point, <laughs> and there's no recourse. You cannot, at that IRO hearing, defend yourself and be like, these are lies. You just have to sit there and take it. And so at the end of this, the judge, of course, who's not really a judge, it's the officer, is like, yeah. yeah, keep him in here. And that's it, and you're done. And then you're pretty much, you go back to Gen Pop, and you await your trial. But the, the problem is, I didn't. I didn't, I don't know if you, I didn't have charges at the time. So you're just thrown back into gen pop. And I think my charges came about a, a month and a half, two months later. They're like, here's what we're charging you with now. Two months of sitting in there. Yeah. And then. Then once, they actually have charges. Once you're charged, they're like, hey, here's your charges. Then you have to await a trial date, which everything is backed up there. Oh, yeah, so yeah. It, it could be uh, anywhere from six months to a year, year and a half before you can go to trial. And so you're sitting in prison, and what people don't understand is you're labeled a pretrial prisoner while you're in there. And it's, it's explained to you when you check in. They're like, hey, you're a pretrial prisoner, and you'll but you're, you'll be treated no different than the actual pr- – actually, it's worse. Yeah, yeah it's they worse. segregate you, actually, yeah. 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 So they're supposed – well, they're supposed to segregate you, and that's the thing. They're supposed to keep you separate from the actual prisoners, from actual people who are found guilty. But they don't. You're immersed with everybody else, except you have no job. So the prisoners, once they get found guilty, get given a job in prison, you know, so they work during the day and have something to do. You, as a pretrial, have nothing to do during the day. So you have to sit there in a chair and pretty much live chow to chow. You're just like, all right, now it's lunch. And then sit in a chair until dinner. And then it's, you know, locked down at night. Um and you just live that same life every day. You're trying to find stuff to do. There just isn't. Yeah. 
And so <clears throat> that's like the one. So you're you're set. Um, the 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 deck of cards is stacked against you from the get go, right? Yeah, because you don't even have a deck. Like you don't yeah. have nothing to well, play with against. Back I mean, to the IRO, like so that the the judge who's just some officer is allowed to interview all of your accusers, but they don't talk to you at all. So like right out the gates, it's set up to screw you. And this is something like we've all talked about a lot is everybody's working for the same admiral and that admiral wants a 95 is it 95% conviction like yeah it's way up there which is outrageous like in the civilian world that's not a thing it's what probably like 60% if that it just depends on the firm but he wants that so like and everybody works for him so the 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 guy at the IRO works for that admiral the the judge the prosecution the defense everybody's all working for the same guy who has one goal and that's to prosecute people yeah so you're you're set up for failure from the get go. They even offer your victims like, for my case, my ex wife because it was a violent case. They offered they were like, if you help us get a, a prosecution on your ex husband, you'll get half of his base pay and all these different rights through the military for the next three years. So they incentivize people. Dude, yeah, it's a. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew it was I knew it was shady, but I didn't know. I mean, that extent, especially since their goal, their KPI, like what they measure themselves on mm-hmm. is the exact thing that, I mean, and they have the power to make that happen. I mean, it would be one thing if they were, you know, it was a monopolized company in the private world that is selling widgets. Yeah. But this is people's lives. Yeah. You know? And their families. Oh, yeah. yes. So then it gets, so here, that's just like the beginning of it, right? So then once you're in there, you are supposed to be able to talk to your lawyers, you know, because at this point you're still under investigation or, you know, you have your charges and then you're awaiting trial and you just don't, maybe you don't know your trial date yet, but either way you should still be able to start talking to your lawyers and prepping a defense, you know, and what the Navy does is first is they sign, they assign you a JAG, a lawyer. That's, that's the one right that you get, right? Worse They're than like, a public Oh, defender. Yeah, it is. It's like a it public defender. Admiral. But the problem is this. So while you're in Gen Pop, there is one representative in there. Um, I think the first guy was Klein was his name, right? So he's it's like Klein. the go-to. You go to him like, hey, I need to talk to my lawyers. And he's supposed to set up these calls. Um, like, okay. And, of course, everybody in there is wanting to talk to their lawyers, right? It's not like you're the only one. Everyone's, like, in the same boat. Sure. So this guy, be. right? But this is only one individual. And so he's literally – I, I'll give it. Klein was awesome. He was like actually, he was good to go. He was actually trying to help, but he only was there for he about was a week. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, when, and then, and his was, hands are tied behind his back. Yeah, and he he was straight up honest. He's like, listen, and I because I remember I sat down with him, and he's like, dude, it's it's not that easy. Um, this is how it is here. Like, you're not going to be able to talk to your lawyers when you want. Um, I'm going to do my best, but this is the system is built this way for a specific reason. But he knew it. And he's like, I will try and help you as best I can. But the problem was he retired and was like gone a week or two yeah. um, after. And they replaced him with uh, Rashida Jank. Was it Rash- Jenkins? Jenkins. Rashida Kennedy Jenkins. Oh, dude. So she yeah. comes in and she was having nothing to do with helping anybody. And yeah. she especially hated – she hated me oh, yeah. for yeah. sure. Like hated my guts and then would not – so, I mean, there was times where – 
I'd be like, hey, I need to talk to my lawyer. And she, because you have to, you have to put in a uh, request chit, a request chit, a request paper to even yeah. talk to her, to then talk to, to talk to her, to then get her to get your lawyers right. So she would ignore all those request chits, and then there's a complaint box that you can put in. <laughs> so we put in the complaint box. Every hey, day. I haven't <laughs> talked to my lawyer. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. And she would literally walk in with the complaint because guess where the complaints go? To her. She would walk in and read the complaint be like, oh, Mr. Gallagher, you're not happy with, you know, or Tim or whoever, like, oh, I'm not doing my job? Well, guess what? You're never talking to your lawyers now. And just leave. And so that's the environment that you're in where you're like, dude, how is this chick getting away with this? But she's in charge and she's in control of everything. So that is another part of the system that is completely broken and why you, you don't get the rights that you deserve in there. Like you're, you're literally fighting every day to like be able to defend yourself. And most of the time it's not happening. Like you just have to sit there and take in it. What, in what system do you have the complaint, like a complaint, a complaint workflow set up that goes directly to the person that you're complaining about <laughs> that, I mean, like, why would they even have... In the military. Do they have that just so that they can say, oh, well, we have a process for for them, but... Yeah, they have it so they can be like, yeah, we got checks and balances, but they're they're really not. Yeah, yeah, so old old Rashida Jenkins. um, She was in there for the majority of my time. I think you guys, when you guys left, she was still... Yeah, she was. Nothing had been done. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it wasn't and, until after you left that they did something about her. How, how yeah. can you how can you form a defense if they have at least what two months or so to incentivize all the people <laughs> that against Actually, you? Actually, I'll answer that. Yeah. <laughs> the only way you can form a defense is by giving every single one of your paychecks while you're in there to a civilian JAG, because the JAG that they issue is or a, a civilian lawyer. lawyer. Yeah, a civilian lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Someone who can who can represent within the UCMJ. Yeah, and so and that's this is the other thing, and I'm I'm sure you guys you two can speak to this too. We well we actually had the same JAG um, that was assigned to us, which by the way, when he was assigned to me, he was from a place called Lamore, which was hours away. Like, and so the first time I met him, which was I was over I was like a month and a half, couple months in at that point. He the first words out of his mouth. Plea deal. We yeah. need to start thinking yeah. of a plea deal. And I was like, Same. no, I am not guilty. Like, I am. And he was like, well, I, and this is, and he was brutally honest. He's like, I don't know why they assigned me to you because I am hours away and I'm never, like, I'm barely going to be able to come down here. They assign you, you yes. your lawyer? Yeah. And it's so yes. random. It's worse than a pub. I'd rather have a public defender, bro, than a, a Navy yeah. Jag, man. And again, the Navy Jags. That are assigned to you Worth all work for the, the same, same one individual, which we talked about before. So none of them want to stir the pot. Mm-hmm. So if like when I told him, "Nope, I'm fighting this. I'm not guilty," it was like a look of dejection on his face because he then knew, "Oh, I actually have to work. Yeah. Like I actually am going to have to do something." And or or he's worried about, "Hey, like I can't win this because I'm winning against my boss and, who yo, does not want yeah. it." That's a common theme throughout too. Um, wow. And they're all friends. Yeah. That's incestual, like that yeah. system. It's a lose lose. I mean, it's, yeah. 
Well, you're, you're not meant to win. It's a plea. It's a plea bargain factory. That's yeah. what the brig is. Yeah, it's and I watched it over and over again because you know we all spent a good amount of time in there. Yeah. Um, you would watch these young kids come in, and it didn't matter. You know if they were charged with being UA or maybe they popped on a piss test or it's like these these crimes that they're locking most of these people up for. Well. We'll separate the, the sex yeah. offender, the child predators that we were and in there. 95% of the people at the break were, the five were child predators, yeah. Um, but the, there's dudes that I, we watch guys come in, and they're like, they make them sit there. They're like, okay, well, you're just going to sit here for a couple months, just like they were doing to us. But while you're sitting there, they'll come in and be like, we got you. Yeah. You're done. Like, it's over. You're looking. And they'll, you know, ex- um, lie about the amount of time like oh you're gonna get 60 years because they want to scare these, these oh, individuals. Yeah. we should talk about the max sentences they give you yeah it's yeah. these max sentences, which they'll tell you like you're getting the max sentence so if you don't have the maturity or the knowledge of how it works which nobody does you're automatically like okay i'll just take the plea deal because they're like well we're gonna give you you're getting 80 years or you plead guilty and we'll give you five yeah and so most people are like I'll just take the five years. Um, yeah. yeah. But the problem is, is yeah, you just pleaded guilty to something that yeah. either A, you didn't do, or B, you're being overpunished for. Yeah. How many people do you think that's happened to you? 90, yeah. over 90%. Yeah. Wow. And most of them are way overpunished. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think of it like looking at you three guys is just private citizen, no military experience at all. In fact, most of the words you'll use, I'm like, write that down to ask them later what that acronym means but what's that no there's so many of them (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't interrupt all the time because it's like an ascent in rabbit trails but like you were an incredible chef right like you won all these culinary awards you did a bunch of contests that you won in it um you were stationed on a ship worked 24 7 seven days a week you know, and you like to ride motorcycles in the small little off time that you had, and you're part of you're president of a club. Yes, you probably ran, knew some guys that did some crazy stuff, right? I know plenty of guys that have done really crazy stuff, but like you weren't running, like they didn't have any evidence, nothing on you. You weren't running drugs, no. But like just the fact that you were a president of a motorcycle club. They throw you in. They stack the deck against you. You get two months before. You can't even build a defense while they're building your prosecution against you. And they add the stuff I was in. Like, I, I won't say the person's name on, on the podcast because I, I, sure. I've forgiven the person that basically put me into this shit. I mean, with my own actions too, right? But somebody popped on the piss test and was like, this guy gave it to me. Uh, so all of a sudden, I'm the Pablo Escobar. I'm the... the Distribution guy, I'm the, I'm, I'm, I'm somehow the fucking kingpin, right? Yeah, yeah. but it was yeah. just one of the things. It was an upcharge, man. You know, I was like, yeah. what, what the fuck? This person said I did it, so I did it to them. Yeah, well, that's an accusation. That's not. That's not. Oh, that's that's a that's a indictment. That's, a goddamn, that's an indictment for the, the navy. The navy, if that's, an accusation yeah. is an indictment, yeah. you are you are guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Well, dude, like, you, and then you two guys are stellar navy seals with yeah. a career with the multiple deployments, it, like. It's not just some guy that comes in and is troubled the whole time and doesn't do anything for the military that they're stacked. It's like really. Well, that makes that NCIS agent look cool when he convicts us. Yeah, that's a big, that's a headliner. Like I bagged a Navy SEAL. He's, you know, 
going away the for resources whatever. Those guys have too. It's insane. Oh, man. you are fighting against. So I'll tell you, and this was probably the biggest like reality check moment when I was in there is when they actually did bring me my charges and I got a binder and on it, it says, you know, Eddie Gallagher versus the United States. Yeah. And that's when you, it's, it's like kicks in. You're like, Oh, everybody gets, I am going against the United States government and they have all the resources in the world. I have none. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I'm, I'm not, we all were facing that. Like, and that's what people don't understand is, there's, you know, yeah, they assign you that JAG who works for the United States government, right. who, whose boss is the one trying to prosecute you, Bingo. and you are sort of on your own. And they know that you don't make, like, we don't get paid a lot in the military. We, we barely make enough to, like, be able to support our families. I mean, you can live a decently comfortable life, but it's not like you have any extra money for anything else. Yeah. And they know that. And therefore, they're like... You're not going to be able to afford a civilian attorney, yeah. at all. They, so they pay you about thirty five, forty grand a month. <laughs> yeah. Navy SEAL. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because if you hire a, a civilian lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, their retainer is sixty thousand dollars for a trial. I don't doubt it. For a plea deal, for me, it was twenty five. If you want to hire a good, a really good attorney, maybe more than that. Yeah, that's just where it starts. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'll say this too. Once they find out you're hiring a civilian attorney, they so turn if you, it up. They tell you right away, like, well, then you are guilty. Yeah, yeah. They'll say that to you straight up. Yeah. How come? Because you're going against the system. You're going against the agenda. And they're like, if you go out, of, and I've heard this multiple times from other individuals um, since I've been out and actually helped through our the Pipe Hitter Foundation, they're told, especially in the SEAL teams, uh, they labeled it the Gallagher effect. Uh, they they call it that. They're like, if you step out of line and you go hire a civilian attorney, we're coming. Like you're done. We're coming after you. Thank you. Uh, like that makes me a little bit happy. Oh yeah, the it gives me a smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they knew like because I had done that yeah. and won. Yeah, I think a lot of other guys saw that and they're like, well, I don't. And that's what people don't understand is like, just because you're a service member, and we're all sort of brainwashed into from the moment we join in boot camp and everywhere else, we're sort of brainwashed to trust the system. Like, okay, these guys, like, trust the system. They're not going to screw me over. Yeah. And they they abuse that belief when they start coming after you because they're like, no, you won't. They'll tell you, you just trust the system. Yeah. That's it. You pretty much take what we're giving you with a smile on your face. The second you step out and like, nope, I'm going to start defending myself, then there's a problem. And because I had done that, I think it sort of motivated other guys. They're like, oh, shit, there is a way to defeat this. So when they, because they do, they come after guys all the time mm-hmm. for no reason or for, you know, the wrong reasons or over punishment. So guys started fighting back and they're like, well, I'm going to hire a civilian attorney. But then once you do that, then they're coming after you with everything they have. Yeah. yeah. Because they're fearful. Yes. Of getting exposed. Yes. Yeah. They don't want to look stupid again. Want that not guilty verdict. And we, uh, during my case, we exposed so much. They, look uh, they looked horrible because we, we literally laid out like, oh, here's where they violated rights here. Here's where they're violating rights here. I mean, and that that yeah. went on through my whole case. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's and but it's you got to see the extent of what they did on yours because they, I mean, bugging your emails yeah. and all that. But here's the thing: the only 
the reason mine was publicized is because obviously it was a high profile. Like I was being charged for murder, but it's because I was a Navy SEAL because I had a trident because that looks sexy in the headlines. This type of stuff happens to individuals in there all the time. I'm yeah. no different than anybody else yeah. in there. Right. But it was, that's why I always look at it as like a sort of a blessing because we were able to shine a light and be like, look how messed up this system is. Yeah. But here's the other issue. And I think we've seen this in our society as a whole, or like in our leadership, especially now there's no accountability. They don't care. They're like, Oh, so what? Oh, you, you caught us cheating. So what? Move on. And then they cheat again, move on. And that was going on through my case the whole time we would, catch them violating each one of my every one of my rights they were leaking information to the press i mean it was blatant in your face but at the time my civilian lawyers that i had were very weak and they were they were also prior jags that they get out and start a law firm so they don't want to call them out either on it they're like oh well this is and all of them are tainted because they've worked in that ucmj system for so long that it's it's literally just normal to them they're like this is just how it is that's how i was told all the time this is just how it is man and I'm like, this yeah. isn't right. And so we found, boy, I mean, obviously everybody yeah. knows the story. Like my wife, Andrea, stood up and started yeah. really calling everything out on social media. That's how all that light was brought, you know, because other than that, if I didn't have her doing that, yeah. Yeah. I'd be another statistic, you know, in the brig. I'd be in Leavenworth for life yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's – and then while you're in the brig, you know, we can go into just – the environment in there and how you have to adapt um, while you're in there. Well, because before that, I think we should also mention Barry, how he served his entire sentence. And yeah. Found I out. mean, that's a, so that's, a, I, I don't think I brought that up. So uh, Keith Barry was a SEAL, yeah. uh, senior chief, or is a SEAL, um, just not active anymore. He was in the same brig we were in. Um, and I remember when this happened, uh, it was like, a couple years before we got yeah, there like 13 and he was charged with rape. And so I, when I, I worked, uh, I think as a first phase instructor, or maybe I was in a platoon at the time, but you know, the story got out like, Oh, did you hear about the guy, you know, senior chief that raped this chick. Right. And of course, immediately that story is like, he's guilty. Yeah. So like, oh, he dude. was same position as you yes. like, as, as far as seals. Yeah. Okay. So he goes to trial. They have no evidence. The accuser, at trial says, no, he didn't rape me. Um, it, the whole, yeah. Yeah. What? So his, his lawyer's like, oh, it's done. We're good. The verdict comes out guilty. He then ends up in the same brig we are. He spends about what? Almost three years. Three years. <laughs> the judge that found him guilty gets a conscience, comes out and is like, I was told to find him guilty to, keep the prosecution rate up and he's actually innocent. And so they let him out, but they don't give him any back pay. They don't give him any of the stuff that he deserves. He's already labeled a rapist. And so his life is screwed. About to make master chief too. Yeah. Yeah. So he, that's a perfect example of just how it is. And again, his didn't get much publicity either because he didn't have somebody on the outside fighting. Andrea. He did yeah. not have a, an Andrea Gallagher. Like, look what they're doing. So his was swept under the rug, right? He was let out. I think there was like a small article about it 
where oh you know navy judge comes forward and says but it's like and we're done yeah like that's a huge deal because that is what's going on to a large percentage of people in that brig and it's not being publicized or told yeah dude yeah and before we we move on to like life in the brig the cherry on top for me when i realized wow it really is completely stacked against me was when i did read all my charges and my max sentence so I, I gave you guys my story, and I definitely did something wrong, and I deserve to be punished for it. Uh, in the civilian well, let's just go through the charges. I got two assault consummated by battery. One was obviously the, the van. I got disobeying a lawful order for the MPO. They told me not to talk to her. Communication of a threat. Um, and I think that was all of them. But I got Communication of a threat? I said, I'm going to kill you when I reach through there. Um, okay. Yeah. So with, between all of those charges, my max sentence was 19 years. In the civilian world, I actually looked it up. For all those charges, my max sentence would have been a month and a half or a, a month in prison and a $1,500 fine. But most of the time, they just, like, give you a misdemeanor and send you on yeah, your way. Yeah, put you on probation. And I asked my lawyer, yeah, I was like, why, why is there this huge disparity between the UCMJ and civilian courts? And he's like, well, you guys are held to a higher standard. Well, doesn't that mean we learn faster? That didn't make any sense to him. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, dude. There's is still communication of a threat even a charge? Actually, in the, the civilian world, it is too. It yeah, is? Uh, there, there's actually a few charges in the UCMJ that are still in black and white: death by firing squad. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, espionage. <laughs> is this China? Kellogg. <laughs> I mean, those. You know, obviously, those things would never happen. Right. But they. That's where they'll be like, hey, here's the max charge. And then they might not say death by firing squad, but they're like 60 years, yeah. which is like, okay, that might, I'm, that's death. Like, I'm going to sit in here until I'm dead. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an archaic system that has not been reformed at all in so long. Um, and, of course, the military they don't have any reason to reform it because they want it to stay that yeah. way to make yeah. the political rank. And it's the elitist mindset that the military has, where they're like, "Nope, we can never do no wrong. Um, our system is fine the way it is." And how dare you question it? How dare you question the way we do things? Yeah, it's and the opposite of leadership. I mean, true it leadership is—it's is, yeah. the opposite. It's like it. its own separate little system in the military. I, to this day, I don't understand how it even came to be. It was designed, and I, I you know, I, I probably mess this up a little bit. It was actually designed to protect the service member, right? So when guys were overseas, either stationed overseas or at war, um, and they get charged with a war crime or, or, like, any kind of crime over there that the other country is like, oh, we're prosecuting them, the UCMJ was formed to be like, no, no, no. We'll, we'll bring them back here and take care own. of them, and we handle yeah. our own. And it was, the you know. You designed think in, in that way to protect you from getting prosecuted in other countries and, and getting overpunished because there's yeah. a lot of probably overpunishment in other countries that happens. Except at a certain, I don't know when it was, it flipped. And yeah. now it's about, oh, look at us, look at our prosecution rating. I mean, it, and you get politics involved in it as well. Like if the agenda is sexual assault, and this has happened, right? Yeah. During the Obama administration, uh, the sexual assault in the military was being highly publicized and they were like labeling it as a ma- massive problem. So, th- and I'll, I'll this will give the listeners an idea of just how the military works. So, when that comes out and that's a massive problem, Obama at the time, and no fault on him, he was probably like, okay, like 
we need to do something about this. Yeah, that's a bad problem. So he passes the word down like, hey, I want to see more individuals getting held accountable for these sexual assault crimes, getting prosecuted. I'm pretty sure in his mind he's not like prosecute everyone, yeah. right? But that trickles down the chain of command, and this is how the military works every time. It's no different than when you have to show up for a formation. It's like, hey, the officer will be like, show up at, you know, formations at 6 a.m. By the time it gets down to the lower enlisted, it's like formations at 3 a.m. Yeah. And we're like, you show up a half hour before a half hour before a half hour. It's the same different, no different when Obama's like, I want to see people held accountable. By the time it gets down to this lower ranking officers, they're like, we need to prosecute everybody. Everyone's guilty. Everyone's guilty because I want to look good for the president. The president just put out this order. Therefore, we're going to go full retard and start prosecuting everybody. Yep. And that's what exactly what happened. So they started over-prosecuting for sexual offenders. Like, and it literally could be, you know, somebody flirted with somebody and the girl was like, I don't like the way you just feel. flirted. You made me feel uncomfortable. Well, bam. You just got sexual assault. And when it really, there's, you know, none there. Plea deal. Five-year minimum. Yeah. There's there's plenty of stories of guys in there that are, shouldn't have been there for sexual assault. But then again, there's also oh, yeah. stories of real shit. There were some sure. definitely, definitely okay. some shitheads in there that belonged in there. Yeah. And I think that was the, I don't know about you guys, that was probably the most difficult thing about Absolutely. being in that brig. Because I know, I'll, I'll, we weren't, being in that brig is not, it's not like being in like a, Rikers Island, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not a, a freaking, you're not like worried about getting raped. I mean, it's a possibility, I guess, if someone wanted to do it, but it's not that type. Like everybody in there is a, was a active duty military member. So they are, there is like a higher standard, right? These people aren't just like morons, even though some might've been, uh, but you're not worried about, you know, the things that you see on TV, you know, and, yeah. and this and that, but what you are is you are locked in there with child sex offenders and you have to sit amongst them every day. You have to eat sometimes at the same tables and you have to listen to their conversations about raping little kids or like how they want to get out and they stay want to go back and do it again. And you, you have to bite your tongue because I had to sign a paper when they let me out of solitary confinement. They asked me before I went to gen pop, they're like, do you have a problem with pedophiles? Yeah, they asked and me. I said, yeah. yes. They're like, well, then we will not let you out of solitary. And I was like, what? You are going to be in gen pop with pedophiles. And if you do anything to them, we're going to come after you. And so you literally just have to bite your tongue the whole time. And that, I think, was probably one of the most frustrating things about being in there. Yeah. Because once again, like we talked about before, a pretrial prisoner is not supposed to to be mixed up with those individuals. You're supposed to be pushed to the, like, set aside somewhere else, awaiting your time to go to prison. Under the U Under the UCMJ, the Uniform UCMJ. Code of Military Justice. Okay, so that's illegal on their side. Yeah, and right? so that that was called out during my thing. We called it out, and we're like, hey, they so have us. were they us. prosecuted for that? No. no. <laughs> they, didn't even, they didn't even change it. They're like, so what? Like, we don't have yeah. room. We don't have room to put you guys. That's what they said. Yeah. They just put us in a different yeah. line. Oh, they, but then when we moved to Bravo One, when they combined us with them, yeah, they were like, "Eh, no more pretrial. You guys are unknown. We just put you together." The the whole brig there is is designed to cater to the sex offenders. It's the the reason there's so many there is it's the treatment hub 
for sex offenders in the military. And it's a consolidated brig, which means there's every service there. So there were chomos from all over the world. Yeah. So you have like Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force. They're all in there. Coast right? Guard. Every, and yeah, and they are, it is a sex offender brig, so they are catered to. So, and this is no joke. TV. These actual major sex offenders have bigger cells than you. They are, have more comfort items. They get to walk around. They, they can rig. They, just walk they, yeah, out, they can walk freely. Whenever. They are given puppies. Dogs to like. I forgot about the fucking dogs. Yeah, these do- yeah. these things would have dogs that were out to live with them, right? But then you go look at our Gen Pop area, which is pre, which we're not even charged with the crime yet. We're living in slums, slum cells, and I'll give you an example. This is actually a pretty funny story. I don't know if you guys remember this. So remember when they um, turned off all the water for like a week? Oh, yeah, yeah. We had a, we had yeah. A sink, a fucking sink bath. So we couldn't shower. Couldn't do anything, and it was it was freezing at the time in the break. There was no heat, and it's you know it got cold at night, and I had to go to a court appearance, and so I hadn't shaved. I was like, a me- my hair was a mess, and I showed up to court like that, and I did it on purpose, obviously, because I I show up and I had my dress blues on, and my hair was trashed. I didn't shave. My lawyers were like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you show up like this?" I'm like, "Dude." They have no running water. I'm like, they refuse to turn it back on. I'm like, they're doing it on purpose. And so, yeah, I'm like, here I am. And the judge, like, looked at me and was like, because I did not look, you know, good. And I was like, you know, why why are you showing up to my courtroom looking like this? And the media was in there. And so I just turned around. I was like, this is what's going on. And just like that, the water got turned back on before I got to the brig. And that, those are the type of things you had to do to get things done. Otherwise, you had to use the media or stuff like that to actually sway the leadership to actually do the right thing. Didn't they move us out of Alpha because it had, like, asbestos or something? Oh, yeah. Too? Yeah. We were in there for, like, three months. Yeah. Did they did they get so angry at you for for putting that in? Yes. Andrew yeah, putting they, that stuff out? They hated Trump. They targeted me. The whole, like, pretty much the whole time. I mean, I mean new rules once that again, yeah. bro. We couldn't yeah. work out during the day regularly. Probably like, the second your, month he was in there, they changed everything. Keep your blouse on. Yeah, we guys called them, like, the Eddie rules. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I did anything, then there'd be a rule against it the next day. Yeah. As far as, like, so, like I talked about, we had nothing to do all day but sit and gen pop. And I would take my top, uniform top off, you know, because yeah. you're like, all right, I'm going to sit here and watch CNN, which is all they played. And then the next day was a rule, no taking your uniform top off or your blouse off. And that was never a rule before. Guys were doing it every day. But because I would do something, it would be implemented as a rule the next day. Um, A month before he got there, I'd take my blouse off. I'd get in gym clothes, and I'd work out in the middle of the day, which apparently you're not supposed to do. A month after he shows up, we're not allowed to work out. Got to keep our blouses on. We're not allowed inside our cells. Yeah. I mean, we would get counseled or whatever for, I would do burpees in my cell. And they're like, nope, no you're, you're not allowed to do that. Sit out in this chair in the fucking day. And I think let's, I think this is an important uh, topic to discuss too. They keep you sedated in there. Oh, they yeah, want yeah. you drugged up. So when I showed up there, I, you know, obviously probably due to nerves and everything else that was going on, I couldn't sleep, you know, and you're sleeping on a metal rack. With like a thin, I mean, the, the crap they give you is so thin. Yeah, 
So I was like, hey, I can't sleep. I was like, can I get some melatonin? Because they do have like a, a medical staff there. And they were like, no, you're not allowed to have melatonin, but we can give you, was it Remeron? Yeah, Rotazepine. Yeah, Rotazepine. They should give me my pills. I would bite in half and give Eddie half later, bro. <laughs> So yeah, that I, I didn't sleep for the first five days. This guy gave you one. Yeah, <laughs> I was cheeking all my meds. Yeah, so you they put you on all these you know whatever meds you can get on whatever meds you want, yep. and so you feel like you're in a uh, psych ward because they have med call once hours. in the morning and at night, and you're in line, and it's one of those ones where you they give you the drug, you have to put it in your mouth, open your mouth, stick out your tongue, like they're looking in there to make sure you swallowed it, and then you go back to your cell. Like ninety percent of the people, though, it was like med calling. Everybody gets out, out of the pot, yeah. and they're like all excited to go get like their fucking. <laughs> get drug Everybody's up drugged up. Shit, yeah. yeah. But if you take yeah. it at the med call, you have to stay awake for another two hours. Yeah, that was. That <laughs> well, that's the okay, that's the other thing. So med call was at seven thirty. Seven thirty, and you had to be, you know, you're locked down. I think at like nine o'clock or eight forty-five or something. I forget yeah, the like time. Nine, nine something. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're locked down about an hour later. Right. Or maybe an hour and a half. But they want you to take that drug right then. So you take it and that thing knocks you out. 15 right? so minutes. You're, you're most of the people are sitting there like drooling, like yeah. waiting to get uh, locked down in their cells so they can go to bed. But the problem is if you get caught sleeping, if you get caught passing out without being in your bed, you're going to solitary. Yeah. So it's it's like this vicious game where how come what's the what's the reason? Who knows, man? It's the military because there's no are common sense. Are they just sense. trying to f with you? There is some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them just... are some of them are just sadistic guys, like or gals, like yeah. But it's a, just following the military. Well, that's the way the book says to do it. Yeah. Like conventional military, that's that's normal. Yeah. So you would have to get your med, lip it, like stick it in between your cheeks, you know, of your lips, and then. On your way back, you would take it out and then probably take it maybe 10 minutes before lockdown. So yeah. be like, okay, I'm going to, because you're like, I'm not going to, I don't want to go to solitary, you know. Um, yeah, it, dude, the, you know that study they did at the college where they. Yeah, Stanford. That Stanford project. They could do it yeah. at the brig. It's, yeah. it's. Where they just put people, some of the students. In charge. Were, mm-hmm. The yeah. prisoner guards and some people are the prisoners. Yeah, yeah, so you have like 100%. E5s, E4s, E5s, E6s running the show in there and these are young young individuals you know maybe have like six years in the navy yeah but they're given this amount of power like hey you are running 60 dudes at gen pop you're in charge of like whatever so you'll see and there were some good guards there were some cool guards that literally didn't let it get to their head but there i i think the amount of abusive guards sort of overshadowed that because they would come in and just try and mess with you um I mean, we yeah. talk about, was it a Parks? Yeah, Parks. AO1. AO1 big Parks. Yeah. He has big black dude would come in, and he would just mess with the black dudes. He'd come clown, in, bro. Yeah, and, like, harass them. I mean, it was. He'd just mess with black guys? Yeah, yeah. just start he patting them down. He got take everything out of himself. Got me put in the hole a couple of times. Dude's a fucking clown, man. Yeah. I mean, I'd be on the phone with Andrea, like, for the 15-minute call you get in the evening. And then all of a sudden, I'd be in the middle of a call, and they'd come up and get against the wall, and start searching me right there. Like, you know, it's and then well, that's the other thing. The calls are like a dollar fifty a minute, and they record everything and can use everything against you. So even your calls are like 
They set Co- you up. I think it's just a costing. Like it's a money making machine. There, yeah, like dollar something a minute. Yeah. So I had to just to give you a an example, Dave. When I got in there, they're like, "Hey, you need to put money into your phone account if you want to call your wife or your lawyer or whatever." If we had to put five hundred bucks in, that lasts a, a month. Weeks, yeah. And so you have to constantly feed them, and they're make dude. They're making money hand over fist. Where's that money go? Who knows? Not into the brig. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not into the no. brig. Yeah. So I mean, wow. you have that. Oh, we can talk about yeah the um, the chow hall situation. The rats. There were rats. <laughs> rats as big as like my French bulldogs. There were cats. Yeah. <laughs> running around yeah. all over the place in the food, and that's the food you're eating. So you would get. Peanut butter cups that were already nibbled into, and that's mm-hmm. where you're like, eat, like eat the, it. The exercise yard was like right in front of the There's galley, so it. and there was it was all glass, so you could stand there when we were out at yard time and watch the rats like running back and forth <laughs> on the chow line. And we're talking, we're not talking, about, we're talking like New York City fucking rats, dude, like, <laughs> like fucking. They were huge, prairie dog size rats just ripping and running Splinter. through there, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, you literally watch them get into like where the food was being served from. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cereal Everything. boxes, like, bro, it was. <laughs> As a chef, how was that, like, of the food and everything? <laughs> there was, like, you're just like, man, there's, you know, what the fuck am I going to do, man? <laughs> just like, let me hope this peanut butter hasn't been bitten open. All you could do is laugh. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, this is insanity. Yeah, it's like, there's, at that point, man, it's just like, you're just in survival mode. So. Well, I, I think of, I think of you guys, uh, it, well, all of y'all, really, like, y'all been through such hardcore training. Like, it's not a fact of enduring something. Y'all can endure some of the most, like, worst circumstances, but there's a purpose behind it, right? Like, when you're going yeah. through buds, when you're going through workups or whatever, like, y'all can endure that, the worst, but there's a purpose. You're like, okay, because I'm going to go out on this mission. Yeah. I'm going to kill evil in this world that was the same one that, you know, flew two, t- two planes into our towers yeah. and the same ideology behind it. Like, I can endure that. But this is enduring it for nothing. Yeah. Well, it's and it's a betrayal too. If yeah. that's what it feels like, it's like I literally signed up to serve this country. I gave it everything I had, and now this is how I'm being treated. I'm like, fighting against the United now. I'm States. fighting against everything that I had served and everything that I believed in. So it's a very frustrating place to be in. And I mean, I'll say this: like, yeah, we're describing it. it's able. It's definitely survivable. You know, it's not like you're yeah. completely like, oh my gosh, but it's just not, it's not right. Right. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's a factor in there where you're like, dude, this should not be happening. Yeah. To yeah. The not- mental toll you take. It's not like physically it's, dude, yeah. it's fine. I, yeah. And I've even said, I'd rather do hell week three times and go through that, those seven months again. Like, is that because like the purpose, like the, yeah. this is the government betraying you, f- right. effing with you. Versus, hey, this is something I signed up to do, and I'm going to endure this so that I can. Yeah, and you just have no control. It's it's the most helpless feeling on the planet when you're in there. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, and I think that well, that's the the blessing too, right? So like we had right here, this yeah. the three of us had each other's back in there. So I can say like we even T was the first person I met. Well, I, I knew. Tim, I knew Tim was in there already. Pacing at the door. Yeah, I could see him from solitary confinement because I could <laughs> see out of my little cell window Gen Pop, and he was pa- like Tim was pacing back and forth <laughs> waiting for me to like get entered into Gen Pop because I'm pretty sure he's like, all right, I got another team guy in here that. Yeah, they told me. Yeah, yeah. they told me when you came in. Were you excited? 
Be like, oh, no, I was pissed that he's even there because I I mean, we were talking, we actually, we were in the same boat when we were, we were getting out before we got thrown in the brig. We were going to the same events and stuff. I remember we were at some social event and I was like, dude, what the fuck happened? Did yeah, it was a mess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I knew he was in there. Well, actually, yeah, I did. I, I heard like, oh, dude, I think they, they, Tim's in the brig and you're, and even when I that was told to me, I'm like, I had no concept of like the brig. Like, yeah, was he on a ship somewhere? Like, because the brig to me was like, oh, you're yeah, the jail cell you're thrown the in a brig, like on the ship. But then once they took me to the actual like, you know, it's 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 a prison. Yeah, and so yeah, I he I saw him pacing back and forth. So I was like, okay, there's a common face, awesome. I'll, and then when I walked in, Jason was there, and he came up to me. Yeah, you know, he was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And I had so how Jason was explaining his story before how his command took him to the PX and like, "Hey, you need because you have to have certain items to be checked into prison there, right? Like a pair of shorts, shirt, some hygiene gear. Like they don't supply any of that to you while you're in there." So my command gave me nothing, and I'm sure they didn't give you shit either, right, Tim? No, they had to come back like four times. So when I showed up in a gen pop. I hadn't showered. I hadn't brushed my teeth. I hadn't, you know, done anything for like four or five days. So he was like, dude, I got extra, yeah. you know, he's like, I got some extra toothbrush. I got, cool. here's some shirts. So like automatically we, we formed that bond. Like, okay, dude, like this dude's. And I, I had already been there for a month. So when I got there, I was like, I don't trust anybody. Yeah. And he was the only one that I was like, all right, he's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell that story when you're done. But. Well, yeah, that's what I was like. These two were the first ones when I when I'm in Gen Pop, and then we from there we pretty much stuck together. Uh, took over the brig. <laughs> yeah, well, we definitely took over our our pod for sure, yeah. and we're like, this yeah. is the way we're running things. Uh, I mean, and then there's ways to survive in there too, right? So I think the <laughs> another <laughs> story too is like because you're a pretrial prisoner, all the other prisoners know it, yeah. right? You're not you're not one of them. You're you're, you're not, you haven't been convicted yet, so fuck you. Like, you're not one of us. So you, when you go eat, you have prisoners serving the food. So they know who the pretrial is, and you ain't getting anything to eat. They'll give you, like, the bare minimum, and yeah. they're like, whatever, dude. You And I kind of understand it because they're like, dude, we're actual in here for years, and we don't even know how long you're going to be in here for, so screw you, right? Yeah. So we found ways around that, right? So you got political. Yes, we'd find ways to – get some of the uh, cool guards to sneak us in uh dip and so we would baggy the dip up and uh gloves (laughs) rubber gloves yep oh dude it was like i felt like i was a crackhead every time like i'd be in my cell dumping the dip in gloves and like into the fingers (laughs) and putting them in my boots and then during chow you'd go through and i'd have a thing of dip underneath the my uh plate to give to the guys serving it so then they'd be like oh all right, sweet. And then they would give you extra yeah, yeah. things that you could, you could actually eat. Like they didn't eat much, so they'd just give us their eggs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, it was a bit of conning on our part. We found a couple of the, the the guards that could use a little bit of financial help if, you know, if you give them some. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the occasional cliff bar. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, that was, I mean, it just made it kind of, I mean, more tolerable for us, you know, just. Well, it gave you a purpose, too, in there, right? Like, so it's like, okay, yeah. now we're going to start. The system is stacked against us. Yeah. Just those little victories of, like, we're going to make it work for us, yeah. and you're not going to, like, mm-hmm. we're not going to be defeated in here. We're going to try and win everything that, you know, 
yeah. that we can. So yeah, those little those, those little things that we were doing like really I think helped us get by too because it sort of gave us 100%. something to do. Yeah, like like I was saying is like you're trying to find stuff to do in there, but there's just nothing. So it just like the way we met. Um, like I got in there, I was like I don't trust anybody. I was the only seal. Like I knew no one. I wouldn't talk to anybody. And this guy shows up two days after me. I'm out in the yard. The only thing I have at this point is like I get an hour a day to bust my ass during workouts, and that was something I had to look forward to. This guy just starts doing the workout with me. I'm like, oh, he's not going to make it two minutes. And he sucked it up and got through the whole thing, and then we just kept talking. He wound up offering me a Remron later that day because yeah. I was like, I, dude, I haven't slept in five slept days. Trust me. Yeah. Catch me back at the cell, man. I got something for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Just like it just kept going back and forth like you need something, I need something, and then – yeah. And we, we just looked out for each other. I mean, I think the uh, the motto was everybody eats. Yeah, right. Was, yeah, it was like yeah. we. If you have a connection or you can get extra food, then we would feed each other. Like here you go, like you get part of my plate. And then we, I mean, it was the three of us at first, and then I think we took on some younger dudes, and we're like, hey, you yeah. guys are now part of our circle, and we would run cronies workout programs they had to during make it the. It. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we started yeah. our own little crew there rig club yeah yeah we had a we had a whole routine like monday was like the bear complex with the barbell and then i think wednesday was cleaning jerks and that yep. was the one like if if uh, a guy wanted to like join our crew show up to clean and jerks, respect buddy. yeah show up to clean and jerks and make it through the four sets yeah, yeah. and It'd then initiated most yeah. of them would not come back yeah they'd be yeah. like nah, i'm not doing <laughs> yeah. yeah dude how 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 helpful were these two guys for you I mean, extremely just mentally. Oh, dude, we needed each other. In yeah. yeah, you I'll say like because they both got out before I did uh, about a month. I was in there for about a month, a little over a month after, after you guys me. left. Yeah. And it was, you know, you're like, dude, it was I was glad when they got out. Like, I was like, that's awesome. But it's sort of like also sad because you're just like, yeah. damn, dude, I'm by myself now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah, so it it definitely helped out big time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you had somebody to talk to, you could sit there and like, you know, either vent to, we'd vent to each other. I mean, all of us were yeah. going through the same process of like, dude, we were fighting our case and then we're all being like threatened with all these crazy charges. And so we would be able to work it out amongst each other. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you just, you're, you have days where you're so frustrated and you're like, bro, like, how the heck am I going to do this? And you have each other to be like, dude, it's going to be all right. You know, like we're, we're going to get through it. So it, it definitely helped out a lot. Yeah. There were times where, where one of us was about to pop off doing something. It was just like, bro. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it was key. Eddie's about to strangle some dude and <laughs> Eddie, don't do it. There was a couple. I think though, yeah. I, I, I kept my cool pretty good in there. Um, you did really good. Yeah. yeah. Especially when I knew it was a game that they were trying. Yeah. Cause I got word that they were, being told to make me snap. That's why they were doing all these things to me. Um, but that one time when the guard, well, there was two times where I literally was like, I'm, yeah, that's it. It was when my, Eddie yeah. was doing this. Oh yeah. <laughs> my son, oh, yeah. Ryan came in yeah. and to visit me on a weekend <laughs> with uh, Andrea and they made him wear a gown, like a hospital gown because he had a tank top on. And I was like, why is he? And I wasn't allowed to touch him. Like, I'm not allowed to touch my own can't, son. Can't give him a hug. No, because and the reason I was told is because of all the sex offenders and pedophiles in there that it's unfair to them to watch me hug my own son and then also that he's bearing 
he's he's wearing a tank top and showing his bare skin. That's going to excite them. Yeah, and it's un, it's unfair to them. So that that right there, I remember leaving that day, and I was literally like, I'm I'm going to f- fucking kill. Like, I can't take this. And, and he was in a separate room. If you have your kids come, they yeah, put but you they, they stabbed the pedophiles in the other room still. Yeah, their family comes to see them, and still, I mean, it doesn't make it. They're, and, every, they're fucking everywhere. Yeah, and then the other time was the guard who the the freaking Marine. Uh, Staff Sergeant guy. Webb. What was his name? Staff Sergeant Webb. We'll put that name out there because this guy was a straight, I I don't even know what to call it, but he would strip me naked where, you know, because after uh, you have visitation with anybody, they give you another cavity search type type thing, right? So he brought me in there. He was like, take off all your clothes. You know, you do the whole lift your nutsack, spread your butt cheeks, all that junk. But then he started having me, he's like, pick up your boots put him down, pick him up again. Like now I'm sitting there naked and he's just messing with me. And I'm looking at him like, dude, what is like, what is your problem? You know? And he's like, Oh, well you got an issue. He's like, you got a problem. Like trying to start shit with me in there. And I mean that right there almost threw me over, but I was able to, I think I just looked him in his eye and was like, Hey man, I appreciate your contribution to the war on terror, dude. You're crushing it. And I just walked out. I mean, there's a, there's like a uh, there's a few guards, man, that are just that were true pieces of shit, man. Yeah. Uh, that guy was one web, uh, Father Time. His fucking name was Faust. I yeah, his race. Yeah. This guy was like, he always worked nights. He always worked nights. He looked like yeah. he was like a hundred and something years old, bro. <laughs> he had some radiation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he man. His whole goal was to make people go to solitary. Yeah, if he, yeah, yeah. He'd flip he your cell, to. like flip your cell, come anything, man. His main thing was to get you back down. And, some of the females had a, a huge complex too, and they would just come in there. Was the the female guards, yeah. Dwelled yeah. a nappy head on the back of it. Jackson. Jackson, yeah. yeah. Fucking prod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all coming back. Hey, were there some good ones too? There were, man. Oh, there's yes. some great ones. Definitely. I'm friends with some of them still. You got to give yeah. a huge yeah. shout out to Sammy yeah. King, Windsor with Dog. I mean, there were, there were some good ones, man. Uh, yeah. yeah, there were some ones that knew like the system was messed up that. You know, we're definitely being treated unfairly, so they would. I mean, it's just like the little victories they would do, right? So, like yeah. I said, we'd, we'd have to be forced to watch CNN all day. Yeah. But if one of those guys was uh, in charge of the uh, Gen Pop that day, they'd be like, hey, what do you guys want to watch? I'm like, switch the channel to something. And we'd be, I think we got yeah. addicted to, like, Law & Order. Law & Order was like a doom-doom. Yeah. <laughs> I got a job in the wood shop, and I'd come back, and you guys would be watching Nat Geo, and it would, what's locked up? Yeah. Like, why the fuck are you guys watching people locked up while you're locked up? <laughs> it's good, man. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there there was that too, right? You had. Did did you have any stuff come on about you during, during while Oh, yeah. Um, that started, once my case started picking up yeah, steam. Yeah, started coming, yeah. Yeah, it I think would, the radio uh, was the first one that we heard. Yep. Was that so, weird? Like, oh, my gosh. It was definitely, like, it was cool. Like, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we'd all gather around because w- that's the other thing. So it, once you're in there, right, you have nothing when you get in there. But then if you're a good little prisoner and don't yes. do anything, you get rewarded. Like, so for two months you haven't, oh, you haven't done anything. You've been a good little prisoner. We will give you a water bottle. That's yeah. what you get. So yeah. now you can are allowed to have water <laughs> in a bottle. about that. And then another two months, you were allowed, or another month, you were allowed to have, uh, they give you a little, you can purchase a little handheld radio. Yeah. 
and it's just like AM, FM, and and some uh, headphones, right? Yeah. So that's how I was able, like, once my brother and um, Andrea started going on radio shows, I could try and pick them up, and, you know, it was like Hannity or yeah. whatever else. Um, but then eventually when they started going on Fox, I remember, like, knowing, like, oh, we're going on Fox tomorrow, but we're that's on East Coast time. Yeah. We're on West Coast. So they'd be on at, like, 4 in the morning there. So I would get up and like I, if it was a cool guard, yeah. I'd be like, "Hey, dude, can you change it so I can see?" And I'd watch from my like little window. I couldn't hear it, but I could see yeah. Andrea's yeah. face on there or my Is brother. That cool. Yeah, it was. But you're like, dude, what are they saying? Yeah. You know? But it wasn't until like really later on when my story was like definitely published. Then we'd all be like, what? It doesn't matter if CNN or Fox. They. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. Back on the TV. At again. first, they changed all the channels we were allowed to watch. I think yeah. it was like somewhere between ten and fifteen channels were approved for us to watch because certain networks they didn't want to show to the pedophiles and sex offenders. So, we actually we had Vice for a while, which was really cool. Yeah, Vice yeah. Was sweet. yeah, and they took that away. Yep. So yeah, then oh well, that's the other uh, funny thing is so <laughs> each week they would come and inspect our cells. And you had to have everything, you know, squared away and made. So if you, if your gen pop had the best like looking cells, then you got to pick a movie for the weekend. Like you guys, and it was a vote, right? So yeah, you could like, write down what movie you wanted to watch for the, they give you like a list of five movies and you pick one out of five, you know? And so it was a vote, but then you had, uh, those pedophiles. What were they watching? My little, my, little, my little pony, pony bro. Yeah. That was always the one. My little pony would, would win. Yeah, like a few weeks straight, like you get all these these fucking chomos. They were so called they uh, Baronies. Baronies. Baronies yeah. is what they called themselves, and so they were like addicted to watching My Little Pony. They had like they got off on it. It was madness, man. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the thing is, yeah. I mean, sitting back now, man, you're like, what, bro, what the fuck, man? You know, just they're just some, normal about it. Some yeah, of the people that that were in there, man. I mean. It's, it's the worst of the worst. Yeah, like of yeah. as far as like being sick in the head and yeah, I mean like and I, me- I remember going to Bible study the one time because they offered Bible, so I was like, dude, all right, I'm gonna go to that. And I, w- I think I went twice, and the second time I went, there was pedophiles in there, and they were arguing that pedophilia is biblical yeah. and that they should be allowed yeah. to do these things, and. The guy running it was like agreeing with them, or like I, I can see your point, and that's when I was like, "Dude, I cannot be in here yeah. anymore. Like this is ridiculous." So it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's a crazy ecosystem. Just to see the people in there, man, because like you know, when there's like ninety that many people, ninety five percent of sex offenders, but like it ranges from like people that were molesting their own kids to people that were like molesting the, the wife's fucking brother that went fucking Jeff. Yeah. I forgot his name. Or just like the, the the madness, man. They're like, why are we in here with these people? Mm-hmm. And like, how in the hell is that they're, they're treated better than we are? Like, bro. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's insanity. One of my best memories, though, ever is when uh, Jason here got got found not guilty, right? So he oh, went. Yeah. He ended up going to court one day. Yeah, I got. I mean, they found me guilty, but the judge oh. was kind of the judge. I mean, he was kind of like, I don't see why yeah. you know why you're in pretrial this long, why this fucking case came to a, a general court martial. I mean, definitely should have been special, whatever, whatever, right? But it was definitely an, an overdoing. So he's like, you know, time served. Yeah, yeah. fucking the, 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 yeah. the prosecutor and NCIS, the, the leading agent was there, Brian Frank, fuck fag. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was there. So they're like, yeah, time served, right? And I'm like, oh, this is golden. So we're driving back to the brig, and I'm thinking of all the shit. Like, I'm going to talk. I'm like, I can't think of I had I tore my Achilles like a month and a half before, right? So I, I got this big fucking boot on. I'm on crutches. Oh, yeah, he's on crutches. So we, <laughs> we, we get back in, man, and they didn't know. So I walk in. I walk back into the pod Pick the crutches up and throw them across the fucking room. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Oh, yeah. You. yeah. Just starts, fuck you. Fuck you. He's like, you're, you're a cool. piece of shit. He's like, if I you're see cool. you on the outside, yeah. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> if I see you outside, I'm going to beat your ass. It was like, oh, yeah. It was, it was funny, man. Oh. Everybody, like, stands up in the plot. And that, stuff. Yeah. that was, yeah, that was awesome. I'm packing my shit up. I'm just giving everything out. Like, it was, yeah. I'm fucking out of here. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah, those were a good time. Nobody thought I was coming. I showed up at home. My wife was like, what the fuck are you doing here? But, I mean, yeah, it was, I mean, it was the truth. I mean, they did the same thing. I went, here's my Joni. You got to take a plea deal, man. You know, you're looking at 42 years. I'm like, bro. He had the same, yeah, the Jag, same guy, I did. Yeah. Like yeah. 42 years. And then I'm like, what? Well, we're going to trial. That's, that's like six months goes by. I mean, you know, you should consider this plea deal. They wouldn't offer you nine years for full cooperation. What? No, and this bro. is the guy that's yeah, supposed to be this, defending this, you. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen him like two, maybe three times the entire time I was in the brig. Maybe, yeah, maybe about two, maybe three times. If not, it was like a quick phone two, call. Two, three times. How long were you in the brig? Almost a year. Dude. Oh, you get a, a random phone call. I'm like, yeah, no, no updates, man. I was like, well, what am I going to try? We don't know yet. Yeah. Just, you know, just hang tight. He's <laughs> what two hours north, three hours. Yeah, he, he's a little more. I mean, what, three, four hours, depending on yeah. whatever. But he would come in, sit down, and be the same shit, bro. I'm like, what, what are we doing? Oh, just plea deal, plea deal. Yeah, dude. Well, man, it to me, it's a big testimony that not only like y'all service, but then having this mindset when the government turns against you and you guys still aren't y'all were truly victims and you're not playing victim. And you guys took it with what you had and fought back. And, you know, with the little inches they gave you, you guys were able to get some, it's not justice, but we're able to get out and do that. I mean, dude, that's a mindset. Yeah. That's the little victories, man. You got to like sort of give, give yourself when you're in there because otherwise, and you could see it in the other prisoners, they just completely give up on life, man. Like, they are the most unhealthiest, just drugged out dudes, and they're they're done. And we managed to start a little group. Like even we had these. I mean, we took out we took up. on young kids yeah. that were in there. We're like, hey man, you come with us, yep. work out with us, have a perp. Like yep. there is some kind of a regiment that we formed and amongst ourselves yep. that really helped us get through. And that that was. That was key, but that was all, like, mindset, right? And I think it is also is a testament to how strong, you know, like, Jason and Tim and, like, you know, they, they're they strong enough to be like, dude, I'm not going to let this defeat me, right? Yeah. Which a lot of people were not that strong, yeah. and they would just let yeah. it take them out. Yeah. And and care enough about their friends that they don't let it defeat them, too. Yes. You know? Yeah. Be there for each other. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, man. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad I'm excited that these guys came down. It was like a little reunion. We're like, oh, yeah. and that's the thing we have. We've been through something that not a lot of people yeah. have, right? Um, and it's cool, like that we're all on the outside now. And, and yeah. that's Literally. the other thing that's really awesome is just how successful 
these two are being like on the outside as well and yeah. not letting that like what happened to us define the rest of their life. It's like, okay, yeah, that happened. I'm pushing forward and I'm going to make something out of myself, um, which I think is a huge testament to, yeah. you know, their character. Are you guys on Instagram or anything that people can follow you and support you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's just tim.g.spear. But I, I actually, um, on this topic, I, uh, I started my own podcast. It's called The Hot Wash. And something I learned during this time, again, just us being there for each other, uh, it was by far the most mentally taxing thing that I've ever done being in there. And uh, I did have to find a purpose every single day. For me, like, it was my kids, but I totally see – after getting out now and having gone through that, just doing the typical team guy transition, it's so easy to slip into depression, anxiety, and all these other things that we have to deal with. And over the last three, four years, I mean, it seems like every three or four months, like another SEAL or special operator commits suicide. And a lot of the time we're like, dude, like chief day. I had no idea. Like didn't see that coming. And I can speak for every team guy. None of us saw yeah. that coming. Uh, and I truly believe it's because us as men, we're not talking about our mental health. Sure. And that's one thing I learned in there. Like, I was vulnerable with Eddie and, and T. Like, we had no choice. Like, those guys saw me at my weakest moments, and they're the ones that built me back up and got me back yeah. on track. Like, I owe a lot to that, which is why I want this podcast to be out there so that guys can hear, like, dudes that they look up to. And it's not just SEALs, just leaders and the people that we deem as the alphas of society. We're all going through something, and us as men, we're not talking about it. We're holding it in, and then bad things happen when we do that. It's okay, man. Let's just talk about our feelings. So we'll be launching the pilot uh, by the end of November. Uh, Eddie's going to be one of the first few episodes. Yeah. So. Awesome. We'll, 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 we'll put a link down in the description for it. Absolutely. And encourage all you guys to go and sign up for it and um, listen to these guys too and support them. Are you on Instagram as well? I'm it's an old profile. I'm sure you can find me. I'm yeah. Active, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm there. If you want to talk to me, shoot me a DM. I'll check it. If not, you can find me on Facebook. I'm not that hard to find. Okay. Yeah. If you need a private chef, if you, if you do, uh, if you're in San Diego, November eighth, man, I got a real, I got a buddy of mine, one of my close brothers, Chef Kelston Moore, founder of the Bad Boys of Culinary, a nonprofit. Uh, he's doing another fundraiser in San Diego, November eighth. It's called the uh, Family Secret, so it's hosted by Makers Martin. Nice. It's pretty dope, man. So if you want to be a part of it, yeah. I, I'll send some info so if you guys want to drop it on the page. But, yeah, Bad 100%. Boys of Culinary is at, at the Bad Boys if, if you want to check it out on Facebook. Bad Boys of Culinary. Okay. Yeah. And November, then, 8th, November 8th, San Diego. Diego. Yeah. If you check them out. Check them out. Support them. Got, I, I think for a lot of private people in just the private area, they are like have such respect for um, people that have served especially people that have served and then have had an injustice by the U.S. military. It's like we want to help, but how to help? Yeah. Man, anything, just take some time to give a like. Yeah. If there's any sort of donations, yeah. send 100 bucks, whatever. Yeah. Like, see, anything that private citizens can do to help out, this is the way to do it. Um, yeah, I, if, you know, if you're listening right now and you, you know, you're hearing this story and you're like, this is messed up, uh, how can I help out? I mean, that's why I, we started the Pipe Hitter Foundation yeah. for that exact reason. Um, you guys can look it up at thepipehitterfoundation.org. Uh, and I, I think I've said this before, but, you know, what we do is we help individuals who are stuck in the same situation we were. And uh, it's active duty military, 
law enforcement and first responders. Uh, we step in, provide emergency relief aid to their families as they're going through that stressful time. We also raise money for the legal defense, and if need be, we will go out and advocate um, for them. And we have all the right connections um, to help those individuals out. And I can proudly say we've been running it for about four years now, and we have a hundred percent success rate. So it's nice. uh, that says something, you know. But if you guys are um, looking to help out, definitely, you know, Pipe Hitter Foundation is always accepting donations because that money does go to the right place. Yeah. And it's a hundred percent of it goes there too. Yeah. I know it. I've been like, Eddie, just take something. Like, no. <laughs> no. no, no. So it, if, even if you can't give money, anything you can do, you can DM us, you can say, Hey, I have these skills. I'm willing to do this. Even just adding it to your story on Instagram or something, getting exposure, uh, things like that, that help these guys, um, help these guys out, especially these guys that are trying to help others now. Um, that'd be awesome. Yeah, if, if anyone uh, has a story they'd like to share regarding their mental health and their journey, send me a DM, the Hotspot Podcast. It's uh, Instagram. We'd love to have you on there. Everybody's story matters. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Hey, man. Hey, man. All right. Thanks Out. for having us. Out. <laughs> I hope Mark Cedis.